about you, but I feel that song. Don't you? Like, I'm, I don't just mean that it's got a neat, nice beat and you can dance to it or that, um, like, it's kind of cool and, like, I like the lyrics or whatever. I mean, I can feel it. Like, I, I need some good news, baby. I, I think about this year in 2017, and I watch the news clips from that uh, video that we show, and I think, man, it feels, doesn't it feel like the world's gone crazy? Like, when's it going to end? Doesn't it just seem to pile on? Week after week, there's another, another shooting, another fire, another storm. And, and for many of us, it's not just the national news that's been bad news in 2017. It's maybe for you, it's in your personal life. It's uh, an illness. It's broken relationships. It's the death of a loved one. It's betrayal of a friend. It's trouble with one of your children. You know, the holidays are one of the toughest times for people. It's, there are more drug o- overdoses during the holidays. There are more uh, problems with alcoholism, and there are more suicides over the holidays. We need some good news, baby. Well, over the next three weeks, that's what we're going to talk about. That's what we're going to try to deliver because there is good news at Christmas. There's good news in the birth of Jesus. And so if you have your Bibles, open them to Luke chapter 2. That's page uh, 716 in these Bibles around you, Luke chapter 2. Um, I was going to read verse 1 through 14, um, but I think I'll let one of my favorite scenes from one of my favorite Christmas specials do the talking for me, and let's let, you already know what I'm talking about, don't you? Let's let Linus uh, read verse 8 through 14. Take it away, Linus. Is there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown, I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Now how many of you knew that was directly out of scripture? Is that, you know that? That is the greatest story ever told. I don't mean Charlie Brown Christmas, although that one's pretty spectacular too. But the birth of Jesus is the greatest story ever told. It's why we have Christmas trees and Christmas lights and gifts and Black Friday and ham at Christmas. And it's why we have Hallmark's Christmas specials because of the birth of that baby. That is good news. And in fact, it's the greatest story ever told the creator becoming creation, and sent for us. In the NIV translation, the angel announces it this way, do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a savior has been born to you, and he is the Messiah, the Lord. Now, uh, over the course of this series, we're gonna look at that verse, and we're gonna see what it means, that it's great news, that's what we're gonna talk about today. 
that will bring great joy, that's what we'll talk about next week, and that it's for all people, and that's what we're going to talk about week three. And in that simple passage, those two meager verses that we just read, I see five reasons why Christmas is good news for us. And if you've got a, grabbed a note card on your way in, you can take notes. If you have the app, you can take notes on there. But I'm going to give you five reasons, at least five reasons, why Christmas is good news. And the first one is this, because it banishes fear. The very first thing the angel says is, do not be afraid. The angel appears to the shepherds and says, do not be afraid. This is kind of a big deal, and it's a big deal for a couple of reasons. Uh, one is that any time in Scripture we see an angel, uh, they seem to tell the people they appear to not to be afraid. The people are afraid. Now, we think of angels as the nice little lady in the white dress that hangs on our Christmas tree, uh, or the cute little babies that go like this and have the little wings, and that's what we think of when we think of angels. But apparently, angels are terrifying when they appear in real life. But the second thing is, uh, we have to understand the historical context of this passage, and this becomes even bigger, that the angel says, do not be afraid. Luke, Luke starts this chapter, Luke chapter 2, with a little bit of history. In verse 2-1, he says, uh, he reminds us of what happened. He says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. Now, realized that most of the readers of Luke's original text when he wrote this would have still been alive when this event actually happened. He's, he's placing it in historical context. He's giving them a marker and saying, now remember when Quirinius was governor of Syria and Caesar Augustus declared that uh, that census would be taken? And the census wasn't just, by the way, a nice time to go back and have dinner with your family. It wasn't like a nice little holiday. Uh, they got to go, everybody had to go back to their hometown, but it was for the purposes of taxation. They were going to tax the people, and they needed to see how many people were from each area so that they could um, get the taxes right. Now, it was forbidden in Jewish law to take a census. And so for the Jewish people, this was a hard time. You may remember in the Old Testament one time when David tried to take a census of the fighting men, and it angered God. In fact, this very census started a revolt uh, that we see later in the New Testaments. It was a man named Judas of Galilee who started this revolt against this census. It resulted in a formation of a group of people called the Zealots. Jerry was here. Uh, Jerry last week talked about the Zealots. If you were here, uh, you may remember they were terrorists. They carried around knives and stabbed people who didn't agree with their, uh, their way of life. They were basically terrorists. And so this is taking people back to a time when there was basically a war on terror in first century Palestine. And Caesar Augustus was a brutal ruler as well. In 16 BC, he had his image coined on all of the Roman currency, including that was used by the Jews. You may remember at one point in Jesus's life, he has somebody grab a coin and he says, whose face is on the front of that coin? It's Caesar's. Well, that's because in 16 BC, Caesar Augustus wanted his face on every piece of currency throughout the Roman empire. Under Augustus, Rome grew to be a major world power, taking large swaths of land by force, resettling under Roman rule, and then they started killing their enemies uh, with a device called crucifixion. The Romans didn't uh, invent crucifixion, but under Augustus, they perfected it and made it into a real art. It was not a good time to live in Palestine as a Jew. So when Luke starts his narrative, he's taking readers back to one of the scariest times in their recent history. It would almost be like me standing up here in front of this room and saying, uh, hey, how many of you remember, let's just ask, how many of you remember where you were on 9-11? Right? And so what if, imagine you're reading a story and the narrator says, in those days when George Bush was president and the terrorists from Al-Qaeda flew the airplanes into the Twin Towers, takes you right back in time to where you were when you saw that happen, right? You're in front of a television watching the tower fall. You're in front of your computer at work looking at the news. And 
somebody appears to you all of a sudden and says, hey, do not be afraid in that moment. You see what's happening here? Do not be afraid. Fear is a crippling emotion. It causes people to act irrationally. It causes, it causes soldiers to freeze up in battle. It causes young men not to ask young women to dance. It causes us to trust in money instead of people and weapons instead of relationships. Fear often causes inaction. Let me ask you this. How many of you can sing, like really sing? Okay, seven people can sing. If, if I were to go back to Gen Kids right now and ask the kids in the kindergarten through second room, how many of you can sing? How many of you think would raise their hand? All of them, right? So why do we think we can't sing? Is it because when we hit puberty, we lose the ability to sing? Well, maybe for some of us. But for the most part, it's because it's fear. Fear cripples us from singing in public, right? Fear that we'll be ridiculed or made fun of or somehow we'll end up on the very first episode of American Idol by accident, right? But Christmas says you don't have to be afraid. Do not fear. In fact, this is the most frequent command in all of Scripture. I don't know if you know that, but if you read back through Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, the most frequent command that's given to us is do not be afraid, fear not, have courage. Over 300 times, one count I saw, 300 times God commands his people not to be afraid. When Joshua is about to lead the nation of Israel into the promised land, what does God say? Have courage. Have courage. When the disciples of Jesus are in a small boat on the Sea of Galilee and the winds pick up and the boat starts rocking and Jesus walks out to them on the water and what does he say? Fear not. And the Apostle Paul reminds us in 2 Timothy that God doesn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-discipline. Now, undoubtedly, there is healthy fear. There's fear designed to keep us safe from reckless behavior or from grizzly bears or from snakes. Uh, but most of our fear is irrational. I don't know how many of you saw this. There was a news story this week. I posted it on my Facebook timeline and scared some of you, but there was a story in the New York Post this week that said, this was the headline, if all the spiders teamed up, they could defeat humans in a year. Like basically the amount of, of food, of flesh that spiders eat, how many of you are creeped out right now? <laughs> the amount of flesh that spiders eat in a year is equal to the weight of the entire human race, including the Indiana State Fair. It's incredible how much spiders eat, but still... Most of that fear is irrational. Mark Twain famously said, I have a lot of worries in my life, most of which never happened. You know, God wants irrational fear out of your life. 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made in perfect love. Wow. So why is Christmas good news? First, because it banishes fear. Second reason Christmas is good news is this, because it brings great joy. Christmas is supposed to bring great joy. I'm not going to spend too much time on this today. We're going to focus a lot on this next Sunday. But the angel said this is good news of great joy. Now, if you've been Christmas shopping in the last couple of weeks, there's a chance that you have not seen great joy in the stores. I was at Target yesterday, and that place was crazy, let me tell you. And there was not a lot of joy happening either with the people that were shopping or the kids they were dragging behind them, or the cashiers that were having to wait on these grumpy people at the cash register. But you know what I found? That a little smile goes such a long way when dealing with people. But there isn't a lot of great joy in Christmas right now. But flip back to Luke 1 for a moment. If you've got your Bibles open, just go back to the last chapter. Uh, let's look at Mary and her response to finding out she's pregnant. Now, Mary is a young woman at this point. We don't know for sure, but probably somewhere between 13 and 19 years old. 
a teenager most likely. That would have been the culturally appropriate age to get engaged in first century Israel. Any 13 to 19-year-old ladies in the room? Raise your hand if you're 13 to 19-year-old. A lot of you, right? Now, Mary finds out she's pregnant somewhere between 13 and 19. What is her response? She sings. She sings. Look at Luke 1. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. She sings out of joy. Now, teenage girls, if you find out you're pregnant, I'm guessing this won't be your response. It shouldn't be your response. But see, Christmas is different. The birth of Jesus brings great joy. And joy is different than happiness. You know that, right? Happiness is uh, temporary. Happiness comes and goes. Happiness is dependent on our circumstances. But joy is, is a part of who we are. Joy is us. I, I, I love this idea that uh, if you know Spanish, there are two words for I am in Spanish. There's, there's the word soy, S-O-I, right? And soy is something that is a permanent part of me. It's a permanent descriptor of me. Uh, uh, yo soy uh, un hermano, right? I'm a, I'm a male. I'm a brother, okay? But uh, yo estoy, uh, E-S-T-O-Y, is a temporary state of being. It's something that I am for a while and may switch. I'm, I will never stop being a brother, but I may stop being, who knows? I may stop being a... I did stop being a vegetarian. <laughs> How's that? Uh, I didn't think about what my example for that will be, what I used to be. Uh, I used to be a sinner. I'm still a sinner. That doesn't work. Um, so there's soy and a stoy. There's, a, there's, this like, there's this verb that means I am and will always be, and I am now but may not always be. And so uh, joy is soy. <laughs> soy joy, right? Joy is permanent. I will always be joyful in Christ. I will always be joyful. Estoy is like happiness. It comes and goes. Happiness is not permanent. Happiness depends on our circumstances. Galatians says that joy is a fruit of the Spirit, that the Spirit of God is what puts joy in you, that it comes from God. But, but like I said, we'll talk more about what it means to have great joy next week. The third reason that Christmas is good news is this, because it is for all people. It is for all people. The glory of Christmas is not reserved just for people of one nation. It's not just for people uh, of one color or one language or one age or one height or one weight or one socioeconomic class or one sex or even one religion. Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, atheists, they can all know the glory of Christmas. They just have to get to know Jesus first. It's for all people. The angel said to the shepherds, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for whom? For all the people. Jesus said in John 3, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that, what's that word? Whoever, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. 2 Peter 3 says that God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone, or anyone, it says here, but anyone to come to repentance, or everyone to come to repentance. It is for all people. Christmas is for all people. It should bring great joy to all people. But it's not just for all people. I think we can make the mistake when we think that Christmas is for everyone and just leave it there because the fourth reason that Christmas is good news is Christmas is for me. Like, and not just me, but you. But it's personal. 
Christmas is for us. It's for me personally. Do you get it? So I, I know it's for all people, and I'm a person. I get it. It's for me. But Jesus was a gift to the whole world, no doubt. But he was a personal gift to you too. I hope you see this in verse 11. It says this, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. A Savior has been born to you. A Savior has been born to Steve. A Savior has been born to you in the city of David. Born to whom? To you, to me. It's personal. Jesus was God's Christmas present to me. This is so important to grasp. For a long time, probably most of my life, I knew the truth that Jesus was sent as a gift to mankind, to all people, to the whole world, right? But it wasn't until I realized and understood and finally accepted the idea that Jesus was a personal gift to me from God that I believed and was saved. You know, at Christmas time, we can get really bummed out by the crowds. We can get overwhelmed by the parties and the get-togethers and dinners with family and all the obligations of Christmas. We can get beat down by the shopping and the things we have to buy. And then for some of us, I mean, for some of us, Christmas is such a lonely time. And it reminds us of how alone we are. We can really be hurt by that, of the loneliness that comes with Christmas. And, And sometimes when those things happened, we cannot be turned around by the idea that Jesus was a gift to the whole world. But we have a personal God, a personal God with a personal touch, and he is a great gift giver. That's scriptural. God is a great gift giver. He knows exactly what you need. And the good news this Christmas is that God, your heavenly father, who's crazy about you, sent Jesus for you personally. And that's good news. That when God sent Jesus to earth, he knew you would need him. He knew I would need him. And that's good news. And finally, the fifth point, Christmas is good news because it's about a savior. Christmas is about a savior. You know, when you have a plumbing problem, who do you call? A plumber. It's not a trick question. Uh, When you have an electrical problem, who do you call? A plumber? No. (laughs) An electrician. When you have a ghost problem, who are you going to call? I was just making sure if you're still awake. No matter what your problem is, there's a person who is trained and equipped to fix that problem, right? Well, can I just be honest with you? The world has a sin problem. You, you look at the news and you can see it. You look all around at the people and the choices that people are making and the choices that kids are making and the choices that grown parents are making and you can see that the world has a sin problem. When we watch the news and the horrors unfold and people being killed and wars being waged and men taking advantage of women, all of those things, all of those things are symptoms of a broken world. See, here's the story of Christmas, and, and you guys have seen this illustration before, and if you were at our one of the hundred or so people at our Multiply workshop a couple weeks ago, you could probably come up here and teach this illustration right now. 
But the truth is that we live in a broken world. Our world is full of brokenness. It's full of uh, heartache and pain and death and disease and deceit. But that wasn't God's plan. That God's original plan was that we would live in a perfect world. God's design was that he would put us in this place where, where we lived in a, a place that was de- perfectly designed for us and God would live with us in that perfect world. That was his design. We would live in this great place and, and that was God's plan. But something happened to drive us from God's design to brokenness and death and that was sin. Sin is any time that we turn away from God's plan. We, we turn our back on God and we choose to go our own way. And it doesn't matter what it is, but if God urges us one way and we go the other, that's sin. And that drove us into brokenness and that sin caused death. We see that in Genesis 3. We see that it's because of our sin that we die. It's because of our sin that brokenness entered the world. Before sin, there was no death. There was no plan for death. And we feel it. The reason we feel the weight of all this bad news is because we know that we were made for a different place, right? We can feel that we were not made for this world like it is. And so what we do is we try to escape. Uh, we try to escape the broken world. We, we pursue things like money and success. We think, man, if I just had a better career, if I just had a better job, if I just made a little bit more money, I would be so much happier. Or we try to numb the pain by using drugs or alcohol. Or we pursue relationships and sex and, and, and women or men to try to, to try to fill that gap that's caused by the brokenness and death. We, we do all these things to try to escape. And God, at some point, in all his sovereignty, he looked down and he said, no, that's not the answer. The answer is a savior. You need a, a savior. And so he sent Jesus to be the savior of the world. And Jesus came from heaven to earth. He was born as a little baby. We just read about that in Luke chapter two. He was born as a child and he lived a life, 30 some, 33, probably 34 years of life as he grew up and lived a perfect life that none of us could live. And then he went to the cross to die a death that we deserved. But then three days later, he was raised from the dead and he ascended into heaven. We just did a 13-week study on that life of Jesus. And through his life, it's not enough to know the good news, though. Through his life, God gives us the choice that we can do two things. We can turn from our sin. We can turn away from pursuing our own ways. And we can trust Jesus. That's the choice that all of us have to make. Do we want to keep trying to escape our brokenness and death our own way? Or do we want to turn to Jesus as the solution for sin and trust in him. Well, good news in that is when we do that, when we turn from our sin and we trust in Jesus, God gives us the chance to do two things. One, scripture says he makes us new. We're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And the second thing is we get the chance to follow Jesus. That's what this place is all about. That's why we're here. We're here to help you follow Jesus. We're here to help you find your way back to God. But we can't go back the old way. We can't go back across the top. There's nothing we can do to repay God for our sin. The only way back is to go down through Jesus. We've got to turn and trust him. And then we're made new and we're given the chance to follow Jesus. And so the Bible tells us there are only two types of people in the world. There are those who have chosen to live in their brokenness and death. 
and those who have chosen to turn from our sin and trust Christ. So my question for you today is, which one would describe you? There are only two kinds of people. What are you gonna do with the good news? Are you gonna turn toward the good news and trust Christ? Or are you gonna turn away from the good news and keep trying to settle your sin on your own? He came to earth for you. He was God's gift to you at Christmas. And God in his sovereignty has offered us the choice to turn and trust him for relief from the brokenness. You know, I know a lot of people in this room would say, I'm already a Christian, but maybe you wandered way far away. And some people here have never made that decision to turn and trust Christ with your life. I just ask you this Christmas, are you willing to return to him? Are you here to find your way back to God? Are you willing to trade your temporary happiness for for eternal joy? Your heavenly father is waiting with open arms. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, what a great story. What what an incredible story that you saw us in our sin and in our distress and you decided that the best answer was to send a savior to rescue us out of the darkness and that you've given us the opportunity to follow him back to you. God, as we think about that, we're just so amazed that the creator of the universe would even have us in your mind you thought about Christmas, that you would leave a perfect heaven and come to earth to experience what we have to experience, to live in the brokenness with us and God at Christmas. If I can be honest, that's just what some of us need. We need you to be in the brokenness with us. But God, to help us to turn and trust Jesus, to help us to become new, we trust in that promise that you're making us new as we follow him back to your perfect world. God, we love you. We pray that you would give us the strength to make that turn every day, to turn back towards Jesus, no matter which direction the world's pulling us in. Uh, at Christmas time or throughout the rest of the year, Lord, would you just pull us back in? Help us to see the beauty and the majesty that is your son, Jesus. Help us to see you waiting there for us with open arms. Pray these things in Jesus' name.